It certainly is. You know, I I remember when my buddy Ryan uh, passed, and and I knew there was going to be so much confusion and just a lack of understanding of, of a Jewishness about it. Yeah. Yeah. There there would be. I mean, there would be a judgment. He he ended up um, shooting himself, and and I knew there would be a judgment on that. And um, when it was all said and done, I I found a place of comfort where I realized, you know, God accepted him in that moment, Mm -hmm. and I thought, how am I going to say this? This almost sounds like I'm condoning this. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I wrestled a long time with, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to say or how I'm going to say it. And um, I, I remember reaching a point where I, I mourned and I was crying. I mean, I went to bed crying. I'd wake up and I was crying. And everybody around me was crying. And... <laughs> I did. I got to a point where I said, God, I gotta see your goodness in this. There's just nothing but crying. And in that moment, I became aware. I mean, like I had this vision of, of I saw Ryan and I saw everything about him that, you know, made me laugh, made me glad that, you know, he was one of my tri buddies where we were, you know, swimming, biking and running and and we would just poke on each other and I mean, all those things. And I was right there in that moment where I, I felt the joy of, of like his presence and comfort being around him. And that was when I heard God speak to me and say, Phil, everything you see in Ryan that came from me, he has returned to me. And I put my ring on his finger, I covered him with my robe, and I put my shoes on his feet. And I said, oh, and I got out of bed. And that's what I told those people. You know, it's like, I really care not about your judgment on this. I know that Ryan lives. You know, and that's, that was how I, I that, that is still what puts me at peace with that. But I mean, to be with people in their moment of misunderstanding and grief, whew, it, you, you still have to like just shut up and be still with them and like just be one with them in their grief but I don't want them I don't want them stuck in that unbelief that that's over that death won I mean that that's it you, you, I, I will not accept that death wins <laughs> it, it doesn't it didn't <laughs> it doesn't and it didn't and where do we get the idea anyway that if a person quote unquote, commit suicide, that somehow now they can't be saved from that. It doesn't say the unforgivable sin is to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we don't even think about the way our culture defines things, right? What's the difference between somebody drinking themselves to death and someone taking their life? Ain't that them taking their life? I mean, there's a whole lot of people in the world taking their life in various different ways yeah. right. to try to exactly. cope. And we don't look at it that way yeah. because we, we don't understand that those they're slowly taking their life trying yeah. to cope with their pain. Except they do this to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And we don't judge that the same way as this guy who come and took his life because he couldn't cope with the pain. Mm-hmm. And, and really, 
<clears throat> what it is with God is, what happened with your buddy Ryan is, he was being nailed to the tree all the time, and he tried to come down off the cross. Right? Yeah. He, yeah. he wanted off the cross, <clears throat> is what it was. Well, listen, man, I promise you, God would be the first one to come and tell you, I'm the only one who can resist death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm the only one who wouldn't come off the cross. Yeah. And so now you think I'm going to despise him because he tried to come down off the cross? Yeah. You know, I had to come into the world and not come down off the cross because I'm the only one who would. And really what wow. you're saying is, if you guys know how I like to say it as radically as it can be said so that you can, <laughs> you can see the contradiction. It'd be like saying God despised Ryan for not being God. Yeah. I promise you, God ain't despising anybody because they're not God. Yeah. <laughs> right? He is more intimately acquainted with the, the, the knowledge that uh, human beings cannot give themselves life than anybody else. And he's not caught off guard by the confusion and pain that could come up upon a person when they're in the, the throes of death. Yeah. Right? He's not caught off guard. He's not like, why is there this confusion? What's going on? I mean... It's like, he, he knows, I never created these people to be able to see death. I never created them to be able to deal with death, to have to deal with the sorrow. I never created them to ever encounter death. And here they are in the throes of death being all around them. And then death can manifest themselves in their lives in various different ways. And it could be, um, what do you want to call it? Uh, an enduring type of thing when you're dealing with like an illness or a sickness mm-hmm. that is like running a long course and it's slow mm-hmm. in process, mm-hmm. right? And it's going to end in a, in a diabolical way, right? Mm-hmm. Now, just so everybody's clear, when I say those things, that's not to say that God couldn't be manifest in a person in the midst of all that mm-hmm. and that he couldn't resist on their behalf, mm-hmm. Right? It's not to say that that couldn't happen, but we're not going to now despise uh, Ryan for what he maybe didn't understand completely about the Christ Mm -hmm. and about God, right? We're not going to despise him because maybe in those moments he didn't see clearly, Mm -hmm. right? And the darkness got too thick for him. We're not going to despise him. Neither are we going to act like we're all at the mercy of death either. Right? right? Does everybody understand that dynamic? Happy birthday, Annette. It's Annette's Happy birthday, birthday, guys. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. We're so glad that you would choose to come spend your birthday here That's with all of us. Amen. So what are you going to do? I said, I'm here. I'm doing this. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Does everybody understand that? Yes. Yeah. What we're talking about? No. Scripture don't say nothing about somebody taking their life, uh, being condemned to, to hell or the second death or whatever you want to call it. Eternal right. destruction. Doesn't say anything about that. Thank right, you. but but right. the so Jewish people wanted to put that there. Yeah, so the Catholics. And, yeah, 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 yeah. I was gonna say that. Yeah. Oh so, look, yeah. everyone said, "Oh well, we're not judging Ryan for one mistake," and I mean, I had to hear that crap, you know. <laughs> I said, "I said, well, you know, I don't see it as a mistake, you know. I just, I said they're gonna throw me out the church for this." <laughs> well, what you can do is, it's like what I do. I never try to correct people's theology when I'm standing with them in a friend position. Oh. Right? right? Like, I let everybody say what they wanted to say, and, you know, you, you just are there with the people, letting them get out whatever's in their heart. Yeah. But then when the service comes, that's when I'm going to have my time <laughs> to say what I want to say. <laughs> and and I, don't, I don't stop. I don't, I don't implement into the service notes about how to correct what they said right. to me. Yeah. But I promise you, you just preach the gospel. Yeah. That's, it's not, the gospel is not right. ambiguous, but it, 
I, you could say a bunch of things without it looking like an, just a blatant correction, right? right? And they'll they'll be the the gospel will work in their heart, and right. and they'll they'll see it um, proper. Light dis light dispels the darkness naturally. Yeah. You, yeah. Somebody can be completely screwed up. A whole right. bunch of people can be completely screwed up, and in their thinking and saying all kinds of different things, and when truth comes to light. It begins to dispel the darkness, but the minute you begin to dispel their darkness for them, yeah. a wall goes up because yeah. they think you're trying to correct them. That's right. Yeah. Bingo. Thank you, sir, for saying that so well. That's Facebook 101, man. <laughs> you just get busy with the truth. Yeah. yeah. I at, at the early stages of the church, people were so against what we would say. I would get so many people coming to the Facebook posts. And I'd be on Facebook, you know, reading all the crazy things everybody's saying out there. And I, you know, I'm over the keyboard warrior, you know, and I wasn't doing it rudely, but I was still doing it. And then I realized, you know what? I'm just going to be busy with the truth on my own page, in my own life, and I'm just going to let that do the work. Instead of taking on the burden of thinking you've got to correct everyone's theology, you just keep preaching the spirit of truth, and it will correct. See, the problem for us is we interpret things like Ryan. Typically, we'll interpret Ryan's death through our own grief <clears throat> instead of his grief. Mm-hmm. We don't think about the hurt that was going on in him. Mm-hmm. We think about our own hurt at what he did. It, it, and I, I want to say this way: it's not the typical culture. It's not our typical cultural understanding of selfishness, but it's a form of selfishness where you're consumed with what you feel mm-hmm. so much so that you're not even thinking about the other person. You're just think, you're filtering what happened through yourself. Right? We, we, we tend to do that. We tend to filter what we experience through ourselves, especially with people, right? Especially with people. What we feel in light of our interaction with them becomes the thing we think about the most. Instead of thinking of what's going on in their heart, right? That this was our interaction, right? And we don't, we're so consumed with what we felt, we don't stop and ask the Father. Ask God, what's going on in their heart, Lord? I want to hear their heart, right? My uh, emotional response or my response to them is not what's most important here, Lord. What's most important here is that I want to hear their heart. That's a hard saying. And if you don't do that, you shouldn't condemn yourself. But I'm just telling you, in interactions with people, we filter them through us. And then many times we miss them and we just reinforce us. Right? Because we hear through our own hearts. And it would help all of us if we stopped sometimes to ask God, what's going on in their heart, Lord? Lord, I don't want to hear their words. I want to hear their heart. I don't want to hear their words. I want to hear their heart. I don't want to judge their heart by their actions. I want to hear their heart. Right? I want to judge their actions by what's going on in their heart. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So somebody could smack you across the face, and if you judge their heart by the smack, you could be very angry. Mm-hmm. But if you judge the smack by their heart, and you look deep into their heart, and you see the reason they smacked you is because they were drowning and they thought they were dying. Yeah. Now, you judge the smack by the suffering you saw going on in their heart. And the smack has lost its sting. <laughs> and now your mind becomes consumed with their drowning and what you can do to help them, even though they just smacked you. You see, that's what Jesus was thinking. He didn't judge our, our, our hearts by the action. He judged our action by what was going on in our heart. 
And so when we were nailing him to the cross, and I don't mean you personally, I mean mankind. I hate to break it to you guys, we're all part of mankind. Man nailed Jesus to the cross, right? I mean, the Gentiles want to blame the Jews, the Jews want to blame the Gentiles. Listen, you're missing the point. Okay? Jesus didn't judge our heart by our action. Neither did he filter what we were doing through himself. He saw what was in our heart. He knew what was in our heart. He was intimately acquainted with the death and the grief and the darkness and the confusion and the chaos and the pain and the hurt. He was intimately acquainted with what death and darkness brings forth in a person. And he scapegoated the death. And that's how he was able to get it right to even see us being victimized by death. Now, yeah, we chose the death. No one forced us to walk out of the way. We walked out of the way. We ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Mm -hmm. But that's how he would look at the dynamic. And so often, guys, I encourage all of you in your relationships because when, when you encounter things, if pain is present or the fruit of death is present, you're gonna feel, you can feel pain and hurt. Mm -hmm. And your initial, your initial response is to, to, that's trying to compel you into self-justification, right? Where you're now gonna fight to preserve your life or preserve your position or preserve that you are the righteous one mm -hmm. in the dynamic. But I would encourage everybody to try and stop and take a deep breath in those moments and go mm -hmm. sit with God <clears throat> and recognize what's trying to happen to you. The enemy that's in the earth, the carnality, the carnal mind is trying to get you to filter it all through yourself, mm -hmm. right? And you wanna stop and take a moment so that you can maybe get in touch with God. Father, what do you see going on in their heart? I wanna hear their heart. I don't wanna hear my heart and then judge them by my own heart because your heart will be feeling pain. And now you're gonna judge them by the pain you feel. And I promise you, you're going to get it wrong every time. You want to judge them by the pain you feel. And I promise you, that ain't no elixir for the pain. But you know, the human heart, apart from the Spirit of God, will tell you the elixir for the pain is for you to judge them by the pain you feel. Because that will work up in you the proper response to defend you from the pain. And you need to be defended from this onslaught. Right? And who's going to do it? Right? But no, no, the, the gospel comes and teach you about how God accomplished the warfare already for your behalf and how he hath defended you. And he sets you free from this life of needing to defend yourself. And when you really get in touch with that, what will happen is you'll start hearing people's hearts instead of judging what they've done. And I promise you, not only will you be much more effective as a friend, as a outlet of comfort, as a outlet of light, but your heart will be kept from the darkness right yeah. it's actually the only thing that will keep you from the pain and it's counterintuitive to the mm -hmm. wisdom of the world or the carnal mind to think like that because the wisdom of the world will say what about you mm -hmm. who's gonna protect you mm -hmm. look what they did to you mm -hmm. right you 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 mm -hmm. right? right well God wants to set you free from you <laughs> And that don't mean he don't like you. But the way he sets you free from what we talk about you is he comes and shows you what he's done to defend your life. That sets you free from all the time taking thought of your own life, which is what it is when you're thinking about the pain you felt, when you're thinking about the harm that was done to you, when you're thinking about what you need. That means you're taking thought of your life. And when you're busy taking thought of your life, listen, man, you're filled with many cares and anxieties. And you're being stung by death. 
And the sting of death is sin. The sting of death is the fruit of death is going to come out of you. And so what God comes to do to set you free from you is to show you the thought that he's taken to care for your life, that he's done to defend your life, that he's done to comfort you from pain, that he's done to exalt you, that he's done to give you what you need. And the intent there is, is you're set free from thinking about those things. So in the day you, was, you encounter people who are also being stung by death, you're not thinking you, 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 you. You're thinking them, 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 them. Hallelujah. Right? Mm-hmm. And then you could be a light that shines in the midst of their darkness. And I'm not giving you some principle to work so you can find righteousness with God. We're just talking about how the life of God can manifest in these things. Mo? You know, when, uh, when they brought Jesus before Pilate, uh, Pilate actually tried to set Jesus free. Right. He sought yeah. ways to set him free. And, but when it came down to it, they said, listen, if you set this man free, you're not a friend that sees him. And at this point, he realized it was either my skin or his skin. So he said, okay, we're going to crucify him. But Jesus tells Pilate, he says, listen, he he, he recounts that old situation to Pilate and he says so their sin is greater than your sin Mm -hmm. and what he was doing there was communicating I know that what what was in your heart toward me you're still crucifying me it's still what it is Mm -hmm. but there is a depth to the darkness in them Mm -hmm. that is greater than the darkness that is in you and and it Mm -hmm was meant to alleviate a certain pain that was in, in, in Pontius Pilate's heart yeah. there, that it might have effect on that heart. Mm-hmm. And who knows what happened there, because we don't know what happened to Pontius Pilate, but it wasn't that, what, that the Lord never had compassion even on Pilate, right, who right. condemned him to death. Right. Yeah, no, wasn't this, didn't Pilate's wife say something like, Yeah, Don't. she had a oh, dream, yeah. she had a vision, dream right. before. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Pilate still, Pilate still ended up being removed from his uh, governorship. Did he? If you want, oh yeah, if you want to call it that. And so Pilate may have come to the revelation that even though I did all that, I could, still couldn't save my skin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my governorship couldn't give me life. Because Marie sits on a, a powerful point that's in the scriptures. But historically speaking, Pilate was... Uh, not exactly in the good graces of the leadership back home because the you know the Jewish people were at odds with the Romans and right. so there was unrest and things like that and so Pilate knew that what those Jewish guys are basically telling him you don't crucify this guy we're going to have a revolt okay. in the streets buddy right. right what's that going to look like for you back home and your ability to keep things under control it's one of the reasons Which why is, they they went to job. such great lengths to try to find Jesus's body because they thought the same thing, yeah. that there's going to be a gigantic movement in Jerusalem if we don't find this body, right? right? It's going to be a problem. People are going to think he was really raised from the dead, and then their whole system could just implode, and then where are you at in your ability mm. to, to keep it together? But mm. b- back to us judging people through our grief instead of thinking of their grief, mm. right? We didn't walk in their shoes. Right? See, God doesn't judge their grief that way. He's not, his judgment of grief is not self-centered. And so God would look at the grief going on in Ryan. And you know what God would say? I know exactly what's that like. I remember when they drove the nails through my hands. 
I remember when they flogged the mortal body I put on. I remember when they crushed those thorns into my head. I remember when I, my mortal body couldn't stand up and carry that cross. And si- is it Simon came over and had to pick it up and carry it for me. I remember what it was like when they stretched open my arms and put nails into that wood. I remember what it was like when they drove that nail through my heel. And he says, that's what was going on in Ryan. Right? And immediately he's intimately acquainted with Ryan's grief. And we're intimately acquainted with our own grief. We struggle to connect to other people's grief in those moments. Like, like we all have experienced moments in our lives where there's tremendous <coughs> grief, right? And we remember what that's like. Mm-hmm. And if we ever came across somebody that we knew felt that same thing, you know what would immediately come out of us? Compassion, <laughs> understanding, mm-hmm. patience. Mm-hmm. We would immediately start thinking like that, right? That's why I try to tell people all the time, the, the righteous judgment you make about anybody that you think it got the fruit of death manifested in them or did something that's inconsistent with life, the judgment you want to make is they were being nailed to the cross, yeah. right? And I, I told my friend, I've, I've shared this a couple of times, but, you know, with the, the social unrest we experienced the last couple of years with racial tension and everything, mm-hmm. one, of my, one of my black friends was, you know, telling me about privilege and... I didn't judge him for saying that. I saw the point. He, I saw what he was trying to get. And you know what he wanted? He wanted understanding. And he wanted empathy. And he wanted people to understand the pain he felt. But he was going about it in a worldly way. And the example I used was, I said, listen, man. I drew a picture of my friend who was murdered at 17 by somebody of a different race. And I described the pain of that guy's mom and the shell of her life now. Now, she's a white woman. I said, now, you think you're going to tell that woman about her privilege? And she's going to understand your pain? What do you think going to come out of her when you come and try and tell her how privileged she is? I said, but you know what would happen if you come and identify with her pain? And explain to her that pain she felt over that is what you feel in this situation? I said, yeah, I know you know what you will have won? A friend. Mm-hmm. And you'll have won someone that will be intimately acquainted with your hurt because she'll be able to think back to what that was like when her youngest son was shaking her oldest son in the casket asking when he's going to wake up. And she'll immediately be able to identify with that hurt in her own heart. And she'll think, that's, how, that's what you feel. That's what you're going through. And there'll be an embrace and a weeping together and a coming together instead of a tearing apart. You can't come together by drawing division. <laughs> I mean, you think that's obvious. Yeah. Right. But you can't now expect for there to be unity by coming and dividing people up. Yes. Right? right? You can't. I'm just going to say, um, one of the things the hardest is when it's someone that's really close to you and that you love is not taking on that burden of their pain to be there with the compassion but when you take on that burden how it just buries you in death yeah and it removes compassion because if you've taken on the burden of healing them or fixing them Mm -hmm. 
are making it all better instead of just being with them, being present with them. Mm-hmm. What happens is, is you're so geared towards correcting and fixing that you're really not present, right? And they don't feel the compassion, right? And, and then they, they could never hear what you might have to offer after you've been present with them, mm-hmm. right? And, and that was the biggest thing I tried to hammer a couple of years ago is, man, don't judge the action. Ask yourself what they're going through in their mm-hmm. heart. If you want to know what they're going through in your heart, behold the Lord Jesus nailed to the cross. Right. right? And if you want to know what you're going through in your heart, when you've been behold yourself being nailed to the cross. And that's how we're all supposed to be able to come together, where we would look at each other that way. And we can immediately know. Right? Because I promise you, all of us looking, if you ain't never seen the Passion, go watch the Passion. And every single person looking at Jesus being nailed to the cross, I promise you will feel great compassion. And if that's how you viewed other people's lives in the midst of them getting it wrong and them doing things you don't like, listen, you'd feel a lot differently about it. And you'd walk with them a lot differently. And then the powerful thing is, that's when you could potentially be of effect. Right? Right. Because they would see that you know. And you can speak into someone's life when they think you know. And if they don't think you know, you ain't speaking into their life. They don't care what you got to say. And that's one of the ways God speaks into our life. He came and entered into our suffering and our hurt and our confusion and our chaos. Mm-hmm. He entered into it. And now we can look at him. There, there's our God. Mm-hmm. And we know he knows. He knows. And that's one of the main things that it talks about in the, the book of Hebrews about the high priest. The high priest has got to be intimately acquainted with the weakness or the suffering or the confusion or the chaos of the people. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they can't lead the people yeah. out of the darkness. Right. Right. And so, man, you think God wasn't talking to mankind all along? One of the reasons why people struggle to be let out of the darkness is because they think God don't know. They think God is standing afar, despising us for our weakness and telling us to be strong. Right. But we got a God who came and entered into our weakness, is intimately acquainted with it, and he knows. And what happens is God will become your support group when you realize that he knows. Right? You'll find that God is your support group. And what will end up happening is you'll find that you're led out of the darkness because you got camaraderie with God. And I tell you what, that gives you an intimacy and a closeness with God Almighty. When When you realize, no, he knows this weakness. One of the first things I think of when I feel overwhelmed, and it comes up naturally now because I've, I've meditated on this with God for so long now. He knows, he knows this exactly. He feels this. You know what immediately removes from me? Despising myself for feeling weak. Mm-hmm. It immediately removes this dynamic where I feel like I'm not as I ought to be. What's wrong with me that I'm feeling this? Where's my faith? Where's all of this? And all those things get far removed from my mind and all I can think about is my God. Right? And I promise you, all of a sudden, strength comes. Mm. And people, people go to support groups wanting strength. Yeah. Yeah. And where do they think they're going to find the strength and the comfort? From people that know. Why do you think you go to a group with the people that have been the same through, through the same thing you've been through? Mm. God even said, I can't be the God of these people, even though I am the God of these people, unless I enter into the death and know intimately everything they're going through. How can I lead them out of the death unless I take it into myself? How will they ever listen to me? Right? And so God becomes your support group. And you start realizing, you start becoming intimately acquainted with the idea that 
Forget about, can I resist sin? Because our culture has defined sin by the fruit that comes forth from sin instead of the root, mm. right? Mm. And so we, our minds become so consumed with resisting sin. But what you ought to say is the wages of sin is death. <clears throat> and so then what you would say is, can I resist death? Mm. Do you think God despises you if you can't resist death? No. Do you think God even thinks you can resist death? No. <laughs> so what's God thinking when death has come to your doorstep? What's he busy thinking? Is he busy thinking that you need to be strong or is he busy thinking that I am strong? So what's he busy trying to get to happen inside of you when you're feeling that weakness? You think he's telling you to resist or do you think he's telling you, I know, me too, here I am. Which one is he saying? Which one draws you into an intimacy with him and which one pulls you away? Doesn't say the high priest was meant to lead you into what? The holiest place? Make a way into the holiest place. Guess what the holiest place is? The secret place of the Almighty. The most intimate place there is in God. The most intimacy with God there could ever be. And what happens is is you get drawn into that instead of feeling far away from that. And all of a sudden strength manifests in you. And God starts flexing out in you. And God starts resisting death in you. And that was the whole point in the letter to the Hebrews. He tells them, you guys have not yet resisted sin unto blood. Uh, Do not set your eyes on your own works and your own ability. For you have not yet resisted sin unto blood. But God has provided himself a lamb, right? That has resisted sin unto blood. That in the face of all death coming upon him, he didn't enlist his own ability to save himself. Right? Right. <laughs> and what happens is, man, if that starts transforming your life going forward. And you start finding, like Paul said, more gladly than I rejoice when I feel weak. Right? For in my weakness, he is being made strong. If you despise yourself for feeling weakness, listen, man, I promise you, what's happening is a dynamics being created where you're separating yourself from the one who's strong. Mm. God ain't despising you for your weakness. You see, Paul was all the time despising the weakness. And he was thinking, let my prayer to God be all the time about how we're going to remove this weakness or get rid of the thing that makes me feel weak. And Jesus come and say, listen, man, don't despise the weakness. This isn't about you being strong. This is about I'm strong. Right? Right. So get your eyes off of the weakness, right? And be drawn in with me. I'll be strong. I'm the keeper of this house. Right? You're my temple. I don't know if you guys realize it, but the person whose temple it is, is the one who keeps the temple. Ain't none of you guys coming to my house to clean the house. Ain't none of you guys cleaned up the house while I was gone in Arizona. And listen, man, I wasn't expecting you to. Right? And I wouldn't have let you had you come. It's my house. We must protect this house. This is the Godhead. We, 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 don't, we wonder where we get these funny cliches. We get them from above. Right? They have those commercials, and it's about football. It talks about home games, home basketball games. That's your house. We must protect this house. We must hold home field, home court advantage. Listen, man, you're the temple of God. And in him calling you his temple, he's telling you, I will keep this house. And the Godhead come together and say, we must protect this house. Right? And that's how you get drawn into that, by understanding intimately. No, he knows. I told those people at the funeral, one of the things I said 
was that if you had eyes outside of your natural sight to see God, you would see God standing here right now and you'd see him reaching towards you to embrace you. You'd see him looking you in the eye and you'd see him telling you, I know, me too. I feel this hurt and grief too. And immediately you become joined, interconnected, and you already are, but I mean in your experience. And I promise you, that's where you get let out of the grief. You must first see yourself as one with God while you're in the grief. And the only way you're going to see yourself one with God while you're in the grief is to see that he knows the grief. Yeah. Amen. Right? And God himself felt the grief. And so now how are you going to despise yourself for the weakness you feel when God himself, when he put on your skin suit, he felt it? When God himself sweat blood. Yeah. When he knew that body was going to die. Mm. <laughs> you stop despising yourself. Our Christianity, not this specific church, but our Christianity has been so based on despising ourselves. Yeah. For our inabilities and our weaknesses. Yeah. And our, I don't even want to call them shortcomings because we define the shortcomings based on the premise that we should be God. Right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. If you want to define our shortcomings, our shortcomings are were squarely in the realm of we don't know God. Amen. We don't know ourselves. We don't know ourselves and we don't know God. You can't know yourself unless you know God. Mm-hmm. I, God's the only one that knows. Right. You. Right. God knows you better than you. And if you really want to come to a good understanding of you, okay. you come to a good understanding of God and you'll begin yeah. to know you. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. <Yes. laughs> And you'll, be, you'll begin to know other people, man. See, God come and discerned all of our lives in the person of Jesus. And I promise you, I never knew myself till I saw the Word made flesh. And that started discerning my life in this world. And then I started having eyes to see what was going on in all things. And you know what else that gave me? Eyes to see everybody else's life. Because you start to see what God sees. Because God also discerned everybody else's life in the face of the Lord Jesus. Through the whole cross, all of it. Mm-hmm. He discerned it all. He, what's it mean? What's going on? What's happening? All of it. It's right there. And you begin to know yourself as you've always been known. And then you begin to know others as they've always been known. Right? And then you can have compassion and understanding for more right. people. Then unity yeah. could come. Because you've got to know somebody to have compassion. That's right. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just judgment. You're judging. That's right. People. Right. That's right. And uh, you might feel like, oh, let me help them at first. But eventually it'll turn into, oh, they don't want help. <laughs> <laughs> I expended all this energy and they've rejected it. That's right. They just don't want it. You, this, listen, you will hear that in the this, church. This relationship is a net loss. That's right. <laughs> if, people don't, if people don't get well on your timeline, oh, they just don't want it. you're you're filtering their life through yourself you're more concerned with how you're gonna feel when you get a when you get a right response from them than you are about them that's what that says and that's what that shows which means your whole desire to help was born from a selfishness and now you can't cope with the pain anymore of them not getting well so you got to get rid of them so you can be healed from the pain Come on, man. Uh, now you need a healing if that's where you're at. And I don't judge you for that, but I want you to know you need a healing. <laughs> right? They call it tough love. I was the king of that person, man, when I was a young guy. Because I got, I don't know if you guys realize it, I got some oomph. And so I attack things. But when you're like that and you filter other people through yourself and you don't get set free from you, you end up judging them by your reaction and how you yeah. respond and what you would do and how it worked in you. Well, they ain't you. Right. 
That's right. And there's different things that need to be overcome in their heart. And so I was the king of that kind of person. Oh, they just don't want it. And I had to be set free from that. And the Lord come and show me. Man, Greg, how you figure, bro? Imagine I said that to you. See, God, God and I can have frank conversations. I'm not one of these overtly sensitive people. Like, you can speak to me bluntly, right? And that's how God and I roll. He speak to me bluntly. Imagine I did that to you. How long did it take you, bro? Who's to say how long it should take? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm thinking back on my life, and I'm like, dang, I was 10, and I was, oh. And then I, had, then I had some freedom when I found some stuff, and then when my foot was broken, death still had something in me, and I went on to be a drug addict again. For like three years while I tried to cope with the pain and the depression of not being able to run anymore. Oh. Mm. God's feeling compassion the whole time. And I thank God that he wasn't like, he just doesn't want it. (laughs) (laughs) Who don't want to be saved from the cross, man? Yeah, right. Come on, let's have the real conversation. Because that's what you're saying. That they don't want to be saved from the cross. Yeah. Mm. Everybody wants to be saved from the cross. They yeah, just might have sure. things going on in their heart that are stumbling blocks. Exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah, right? And so let's just let's just think of it the right way. Right. That way we can be led by the spirit instead of the carnal mind. You know, for for me to to have that same place where it's like, dang. It don't matter how I say it, it don't matter what I do. They're not hearing me. And it's like, yeah, back in my day, it was like, I need to say this louder. I need to say this more. More. I need to do this. I I mean, there was, I was relentless with, you know, to, I mean, ultimately, your only way out was do that to me. (laughs) Because I, I would not let go of things that I saw that that was that were death and yeah I, I got the confusion of oh you know I am the one that will keep them from death mm-hmm. and no God had to sit down with me and say uh, Phil um, are you done being a pouting little prophet you know <laughs> and I started seeing all the pouting prophets I mean I my, my eyes were open to all the prophets sitting over here going I had enough of this crap I ain't saying nothing I mean I could see them before I could see anybody else and I'm like man there's a lot of us you know <laughs> so yeah I had to sit with God for a while about you know what do I tell a pouting prophet you know because I am one <laughs> and and no it 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 was about God is the one that is in charge, and God, it's it's His word. It's not your word. It's not your, it ain't your work, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and the freedom for me was to be able to to honor the choice that that people would have in a matter, knowing God's hand was on them. Mm-hmm. So that was what I had to see. I had to see that God's hand was on the pouting prophets. I mean, he was. He was watching them run. He was attending to them in the cave. Um, he was there with them when their eyes were gouged out. I mean, he, God attended to them in their utter stubbornness. Um, 
And and I guess that was kind of what allowed me to like back up and just go, okay. Yeah, you'll, I mean, you'll, 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 you'll judge yourself a failure mm-hmm. if you take their salvation onto yourself. Mm-hmm. And you'll feel so much pain from judge. You'll be stuck with, you'll have to judge them or yourself. Right. If you take it onto yourself, and I promise you, you you're always going to judge the other one, because if you're in that place, you want to feel righteous, and the mm-hmm. way you think you'll feel righteous is if they'll get well, right. they'll get well, then I'll feel righteous, right? Yeah. Right. And the moment they don't get well in your timeline, you're stuck with the pain of thinking you're a failure, right. and, and 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 to try to deliver yourself from feeling like a failure, you'll scapegoat them, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That that's how it will go down, and you even see, I mean, people do that with God now. Like, we judge God's righteousness by whether or not everybody's going to come to God or not, mm. as if somehow God failed, right? Mm. And so there's a whole wicked dynamic of doctrine that, that's built on that premise, mm. right? That if everybody isn't just saved, then somehow God failed. <laughs> you see the dynamic where you're trying to judge the one doing the healing as unrighteous. Right. And let, no, you, you don't understand the dynamic at work, mm. right? Yep. And listen, there's different ways that that could manifest. I got one of my best friends, man. That guy is so full of the wisdom of the world and the strength of the flesh that you can see it in his face. And he won't lay it down. He won't lay it down. And I used to try to talk with him about laying it down. And talk to him about it. He didn't want to hear. And I don't mean like he refused to hear. He couldn't hear. He didn't hear. Mm. Now, what I did was, is I turned him over to it. <clears throat> like Paul said about the guy that wanted to fornicate with his mm-hmm. father's wife. Mm-hmm. He come with the truth. They were squarely in the place of, no, this is how I will have life. And he turned him over to it, mm-hmm. right? And so that's how I am with my friend now. And I don't, like, reject him, but I stop right. trying to talk him out of it. I, I stop trying to reason with him to get it turned away. I, this guy is so filled with that as the way unto life mm-hmm. that he's grasping to it like it's life. And so I'm going to let him keep grasping to that. And ultimately what will happen is the more he tries to grasp to that, the more death it's going to serve him. Mm-hmm. Right? And then ultimately he's going to see that this grasping of this thing is killing me. Mm-hmm. And I'll be there. Yeah. Right? right? I'll be there in that moment. And that's when he'll be receptive to the truth. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different states that a person's heart could be in. And lots of different things that they're grabbing onto. Right? right. Yeah. I mean, in that case, that's what you have to know that God has that for them. Because, I mean, that's hard from a, <clears throat> like you said, just watching your friend go through all that death. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, man, I really want to help him. But you see him going through that struggle and go through that struggle. And for you to just almost kind of just be hands off but still be there, that is also a struggle for, or at least in my opinion, that would be a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. To see, like, say my family or a good friend of mine that's going through all this death and death and death. And I'm just like, okay, well, just waiting for the time, for that time to come. And sometimes maybe that time won't come or or it will, you know. Or it could be a long time. Right. It could be longer could than be what long you time. want that person to go right. through. So yeah. it's like how, I don't know if it's a question or like a statement, but like how how is that even possible to to watch that happen? And... You just have to know that God has the with 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 man it's impossible. With God all things are possible. Mm-hmm. Right? The burden of persuasion isn't on you <clears throat> to begin with. Right. You can't actually persuade someone's heart. Mm-hmm. A person's heart has to already be there. Mm-hmm. Right? You you can't groom the heart. Mm-hmm. A person's heart has to already be there. Right? If they Jesus said, uh, if, if you hadn't if you you hadn't heard the Father, so neither will you hear me. 
right? I say this all the time. If people don't hear me, it's because they haven't heard the Father. It's not because they don't hear me. I can't persuade anybody of anything. I can only declare the one who has the power to persuade. Uh-huh. Right? Right. You know, it's interesting in the book of Revelation, I was just looking at this. You know, we think we here to call people righteous living or whatever, you know. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, he says, He that is unjust, unjust, let him be unjust still. And he that is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous. And let he that is holy, let him be holy still. Mm-hmm. And it, it's not like he's saying those things are good or don't care about those things. But he is saying that those things are. That's just the way life is. Mm-hmm. Let them be who they are, and you be who you are, mm-hmm. and let's see who wins. And when I say that, not let's see who gets into the kingdom of God and who right. don't, but let's see who overcomes the world for those that are weak. Yeah. And... It's mm. just, it's crazy mm. that, the, that the scriptures that God would say, let him who is unjust be unjust still. Mm. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, it, God's the only, ways are different than ours. Right. Mm-hmm. The only real relief for me seeing somebody else caught in that is for me first to see God's hand is on them. Right. Mm. Yeah. If I don't see that, then I'll still be doing all that. Okay, I'll still, uh, you know, and um, the only the only reason I, I I am able to let go of those things is it's like oh yeah it's not my job, okay, <laughs> oh yeah I'm not the one that can give them life, yeah I I you know I, I can be smart on a whole bunch of different levels and I can be capable on a bunch of different levels I'm not the one that can fix their heart and give them life, and. That is where I can rest. Now, what you have to also be careful of is when you see it all unfold and then they get they fall in the ditch in death, and then you have everybody, oh well, Phil, you were right. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> you know, it's like I I had no desire to be right about right. that ending up in death. Okay? The only thing, I mean, those comments are ridiculous to me as well, because I don't want to win you over to my side, like, oh, Phil was right about this. No, I, I don't want death reigning in anyone. That's it. And that's, that really is the compassion of my heart. It's the compassion of anybody that's alive and sees, wait, I want life and not death. That's what you want for everyone else. It's, it's not about this position. You know, it's it's about walking and reigning in the life that can't be taken, and that that is that is only given when you see God's hand is on you, God's hand is on them, and then you can let go without having an attitude. And then when somebody tries to come at you and give you, oh, Phil, you should have an attitude now. You just go, no, I don't. I don't. Because I want them to live. I told you so. I told you so. Yeah. Don't forget, I told you so. <laughs> you get the I told you so. Oh. The nursery. Right. You can see that dynamic in Jonah not wanting to go to Nineveh. Yeah. Uh, 
because the only way he's going to feel justified is if what I'm saying actually comes to pass. But they're going to repent, and you're going to let them off the hook, and then I'm going to... And even when he's under the tree later. Yeah. 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 The, loving, the loving of the darkness, like... I think we interpret those things all wrong. To, to, when, when John talks about loving the darkness, but mm-hmm. some, there's some that love the darkness instead of the light. To love something means to revere it or to esteem it mm-hmm. as the way unto life. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't love something because you think it's the way unto death. Mm-hmm. Okay? You love it because you think it's the way unto life. And I know for me, I love the darkness for so long. Right? And I was loving the darkness because I thought it was the way unto life. And I'm the kind of person that had to be turned over to Satan for the destruction of my flesh, mm. that I might be saved by the Spirit. We interpret that the wrong way. Turning someone over does not mean God now leaves them. Right. Right. It means God sees they're squarely loving the darkness instead of the light because they think that the darkness can give them life, that they're revering it as if it's the way into life. God saw that about me. And he said, you know what? This guy's not going to change. He's not going to see till he sees the destruction that is actually in the thing that he is loving as the way unto life. Mm-hmm. And so he can't stop me anyway. And so all he does is acknowledge me as a co-equal and say, I gotta, this guy's going to have to run his course. Yeah. He's one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was one of them. Yeah. And I tell you what, the darkness served me with destruction. And I saw the destruction. And you know what led me to the place where I was in the backyard with God, cussing God. And it was in that moment that I could see that I was loving the darkness. Oh. And it's like that with my friend. So when I say I turned my friend over, I don't mean I abandon him. I don't mean I don't love him. I don't mean I don't walk with him no more. What I see is that he loves the darkness. And I don't mean he's got horns on his head and he's shaking his fist at God on purpose. What I mean is, is he thinks life is wrapped up in the darkness. And so I got to, he's like me. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to have to let that thing run its course. Right. Right? Yeah. Right. So that he can see the destruction that that brings manifesting in his life all the time. Right. Right? Right? No. Nope. Not everybody's like that. No. Right? Some people have already recognized, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right? This world can't give me anything. Like the woman caught in adultery. Right? Yeah. She already knew. You know what I'm saying? Mary Mag, she already knew. No. Right? She already knew the darkness is the darkness. Here it is, killing me. Right? She already knew. She already knew. I put my ability to the grindstone, and it's worthless. She already knew. I had to learn that because Mm -hmm. I thought there was something good about my ability because I've been taught my whole life. You know how many times I heard, look what that kid can do? You know how many times I heard that on all the different fronts? You know how many times that was planted to me? You know how many times people responded to me positively because of what I could do? Hmm. Whether it was basketball, whether it was track, whether it was anything. That got planted in me. I love the darkness. Mm-hmm. I loved what I thought I was getting from the darkness. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't see it was full of destruction. And it ran a painful course in my life. My poor parents. Mm-hmm. But, but God, the thing you're talking about, and we have to finish with this because I want to go put the music on for my mom and for me too. But my dad had to learn that painfully. Mm-hmm. Take his hand off. Because mm-hmm. we were kids. It's easier when they're grown as people. You realize more quickly you can't stop them. Yeah. But we were kids. Yeah. Right. And yeah. he, God was teaching them to take their hands off. They were trying to squeeze tighter, right, to keep us alive. And it was all of us. And God was like, take your hands off. 
Go plant that garden. Go plant the garden. Yeah. yeah. And every day come home and look at that garden. <laughs> oh, Don't look at their life. <laughs> right? And that garden was like a sign of resurrection because that garden was dead. There was rats and stuff in that garden. It was a cesspool. No one would have ever thought anything could grow there. So you had to till that thing to the uttermost before you could even try to grow anything there. And God was trying to show my dad the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, right? And so, yeah, I mean, that was a painful thing. It's hard watching that. It's hard letting destruction run its course in somebody. Right? Yes, it is. I want to recant what I said earlier that I would love to have seen you back then. I mean, God, what horrible... And my youngest son... 14 years old. He's telling me what he's going to do. I'm like, you're going to die. He's like, I don't care. This is what I want. And they told me, if if you don't get control of him right now, you will never. And he's 14 years old telling me, I'm going out the door and I'll see you at 10 o'clock. I went, no, when you go out, you have to come back. And he said, he said, but you said I could do whatever I want. And I went, yes, I did. And I, and I, let, him, I let him go. And I was like, God, same thing with you. He's going to kill himself out there. He's putting himself in places that could kill him. Oh. And I just cried and, and cried he's gonna and cried. And he's going to live through it. He came back at 8 o'clock. And he said, I'll stay. And I'm like, oh my God, oh, wow, this boy's going to kill me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Emotionally, yeah. a mother's went, love. What you, right. what, oh what, what you do is you 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 commit your desire for their life into God's hands. Yeah, and you com- you continuously be reminded that their life is in God's oh, hands. Yeah. Because yes. what'll happen is that'll lift the burden off of you, and you can have a sound mind in yes. case there is anything you could say that might have an effect. Right? right? I promise you, if you're carrying the burden. You're going to struggle to say anything that could have an effect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But you yeah. constantly talking with God and committing your desire for their life into His hands and yeah. realizing He's Father, what will yeah. happen is, is you could start to hear and see into the heart. Right. And you could start to see what God sees. And then if there is something that will, will have an effect, it'll come. it'll come out of your mouth. Yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah. You'll say right. it. You won't realize it. Right? <laughs> but if you're carrying that burden, listen, you're going to be seeing what you see, not what God sees. Right? And a lot of times what's going to come out of your mouth might uh, temporarily cause some more angst. He, he might have a great testimony. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah.